we can turn to Judges chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the, most, the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt against me, themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many, bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it will be that, and it shall be, that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee, and of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped, I, will I save you. And deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. My title this morning, and what I would like to title this brief message, is 31,700 unfit soldiers. 31,700 unfit soldiers. Pastor, would you pray before I start? Amen. Now, I am going to take a little bit of a different twist on this than what most messages I have heard. And I know in verse number two in chapter seven, it says, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. Now, you could take that multiple ways. Well, a couple ways, I would say at least. Obviously, he's saying unless Israel's saying, hey, look, we did this on our own. But I'm going to take that and twist it a little bit, which is why my title is 31,700 Unfit Soldiers. Because if you're going to, I'm giving this a little bit of a preface, but if you're going to say that you did this and God did not help, you're unfit, in my opinion. <laughs> but the story of Gideon and his 300 men, I would assume, is a familiar story to most of us. In Judges chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, 
And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. The Bible says, because of the evil that the children of Israel did, the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midianites. The Midianites encamped around about them, took their grain at harvest time, took all of their animals, took their possessions. The Bible says that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and because of the evil they did. And in verse 7 of chapter 6, it says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but it's interesting to see how many saints of God can get so lackadaisical in our walk with God. Everything's going good in our life. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden, we stop praying as much as we used to. Got a good job, making good wages. And all of a sudden, he stopped worshiping as much as we used to. Our relationship with our spouse or family has gotten a lot better. And, and all of a sudden, things just, you just kind of go through the motions. You're not really doing a whole lot anymore. The bills I was worrying about before are now taken care of. And now I'm not doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. Then all of a sudden, when things start to get worse, things start going the way we don't want them to, those same people that, when everything was good, took a step back, took a step back all of a sudden start crying out to the Lord again. They pick up their Bibles and begin to read and pray and study and fast. You see them in the altars every service with tears running down their face. But I know one thing. I refuse to only have a relationship with God when things are bad. I refuse to only worship and praise when everything is falling down around me. My God is here for me in the good and the bad. So what gives me the right to only be calling upon His name when things aren't going my way? I refuse to have the mentality that I only need Him in my life when my life isn't going the way I want it. But moving down to the next verse, it says that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. And the prophet tells them how the Lord delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. How He's given them lands, provisions, given them everything that they need. And yet again, they turned away from God and turned again, or turned to the God of the Amorites. I'm moving down along further. Now moving further along, we find Gideon, and God has called him to lead the children of Israel out of the hand of the Midianites. God assembles an army of 32,000, sorry, Gideon assembles an army of 32,000 men. And then the first time around, God tells Gideon that all that are fearful and afraid to send them away. Now Gideon is only left with 10,000 men, and yet again the Lord tells Gideon there are still too many. He proceeds to tell Gideon to instruct the men to drink from the river, and those that kneel and lap up the water like dogs shall be sent home, and those that use their hands to scoop up the water shall stay. And I can only imagine at this point, now we, we see Gideon as a man of great faith, but I can only imagine the dismay the look 
of shock on his face when he's getting towards the end of the line. He's 295, 296, 297, 298, 300. Is there nobody else? Only 300 men when there's thousands upon thousands of Midianites on the other side of that hill. In our lives, I find so many times that we pray for a miracle or for God to do something in our lives. And then things start happening. But unfortunately for us, it's not the way we wanted them to happen. Now, I, I remember last year, using myself as an example, there was a time, I say a time almost all last year, but <laughs> there was a time where I was, I was really worried about some bills that were coming up. And I began to pray about this financial situation that we were in. Begin to fast about it, and God, I don't know what you're going to do, but i tell you this much, I need at least this much money to get through this month and next month, and this is what I need. God knew what I needed. I don't know why I'm telling him what I need. Instead of praying, God, you know what I need. I need you to do a work in this situation. And I know we do need to be specific in our prayers, but sometimes telling God the way he needs to do it, that's just not going <laughs> to... Not going to go well. But of course, the next thing that happens, I'm already stressed out. I have so much anxiety. I'm frustrated. And I was doing Uber Eats on the side to, to help make some extra money. And I'm at a stoplight about a mile away from my delivery. And a car hits me at a red light. Just what I needed, something else to add on to the pile of everything else. But what I didn't know was in that moment, God was answering my prayer. When the other person hit me, caused actually very minimal damage, which surprisingly was very expensive to repair. But it also caused me to get whiplash. Thankfully, it wasn't major, but it was some pain. Of course, the car was repaired, they're under their insurance, but because of the whiplash, I received a check that covered me for almost the next, it was like the next two months. I want to encourage somebody this morning. You may have been praying for a miracle. Maybe you're praying for God to do, work out a situation in your life. Been praying for a lost loved one. Maybe it's a financial situation. No matter what it is, don't give up hope. Keep the faith. There may be an army in front of you, and you may only have 300 men. But when God is in it, all things are possible. When God is in it, every situation that looks bad can be turned into good. Even a car accident can end up be a blessing that you need. Now, I must say this feel like I must say this, but please do not go out and intentionally get into a car accident. It does not work that way. But I have heard many messages preached on this text that I gave this morning, and, and a lot of the, the messages I've heard, it has to do with uh, God not needing a large army to take care of what needs to be done, to not defeat the enemy, and, and that is very true. But I begin to think about these scriptures, and why would God say there are too many? Obviously, in verse number two, it says that he doesn't want Israel to vaunt themselves against him. But going back to my text in verse number three, it gives us the first reason why the 22,000 were first let go. 
It says, Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. The second thing was based upon who drank using their hands and those who kneeled down and lapped the water like a dog. This got me thinking about a scenario, about this scenario specifically. I understand why the first 22,000 were let go. If you're afraid, you're fearful, you're likely to freeze up in battle. There's a fight or flight response, and I would say most of the people I know are more likely going to flight than fight. No offense. I'm probably one of them. But fear can be a catalyst for failure. And in my opinion, I believe they were sent away because they weren't staying away. Staying, oh, I'm sorry. The second set, they got sent home. In my opinion, I believe they were sent away because they weren't staying aware of their surroundings. They lacked training and training in basics of warfare. I don't know about you. If you have your head down drinking water out of a river, you can't see what's going on around you. You can't see when the enemy's coming up. You can't cover your buddy's back if you have your head down in the water. And I believe because of that, they were unfit to serve. So I began to do some research on what makes a soldier unfit for duty, and I wasn't finding exactly what I was looking for. So I got a hold of Brother Krantz. And during my conversation with him, he gave me a list of reasons a soldier would be unfit or non-deployable. A soldier could be classified as unfit for duty or non-deployable from such things as physical, mental, sorry, physical or mental health, medical conditions, debt, family instability, unable to do basic skills that are necessary for deployment, bad hygiene, Legal issues like not having a last will and testament, as well as having a lapse on certifications, certifications for job-specific duties. Second question, which was really the first question, but answered in a different way, is on a deployment, what would make a soldier a liability or useless in the field? Several things he mentioned are feared or being a coward, dereliction of duty, failure to maintain a weapon, Losing a weapon, toxic leadership, not reliable, falling asleep on post, neglecting duties, and not maintaining equipment. Each and every one of these things mentioned could cause chaos, could cause harm to those around. Just like each and every one of these reasons that a soldier could be unfit, us as apostolic Pentecostal church going saints can be unfit for service. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Ephesians 6 and 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We must maintain our weapon to be an effective soldier. We must read and study the word of God to be, in, be effective in witnessing. There are times where we need to use the Word of God to witness. And if we have not been maintaining our sword, the Word of God, 
we could have a spiritual misfire and miss an opportunity to reach a lost soul. Hebrews 4 and 12 also says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and, um, and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Not only must we maintain our sword, the word of God, so we can reach the lost, but, God is all, but the Word of God is also a moral compass and a defense against the enemy. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and to faint not. Prayer is essential to our walk with God. Not only is it direct line to God in time of need, but it is also a source of strength. Prayer is essential for our mental health. It is a source of peace. It is a source of joy. It is a source of strength. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I could go on and on and on all morning about all these different reasons a soldier could be unfit. But for lack of time, I'm pretty sure you guys are getting it. You're understanding what I'm, I'm laying down. You're picking it up. And tomorrow, then tonight I'm going to be, or today I'm going to be pretty short. So I will conclude with this, though. On Sunday, October 23rd, 2022, I was woken up early in the morning by my son. For me, if I get woken up in the middle of the night, most of the time it takes a while for me to get back to sleep. But once I did, I had a dream. And now for those of you that don't know me very well, me remembering a dream is a huge thing. I know they say we all dream, but the issue is, is most of us don't remember it. I can probably remember one or two dreams in the last five years the next day or even now. But I woke up later that morning and for the next several hours that dream weighed extremely heavy on my heart. Got ready for church, came to church, and it just weighed me down so heavy. And I could not get it off my mind. In this dream I was at a massive church conference. It was the largest room I had ever seen. There was at least, and I say room, because it was just a room inside of a building. But there was at least 50,000 apostolic Pentecostal saints of God in that building that day. I remember seeing faces of people that I know, and thousands upon thousands of faces that I didn't know. Everyone was in their Sunday best, and a choir of at least a thousand people was on the platform singing. It was a recipe for something great. It was the makings of a great move of God, and it should have been one of the most amazing services we had ever experienced. The choir was swaying back and forth as they were singing and bobbing up and down. But the interesting thing was, the first thing 
that I thought in, in this dream was, that's a pretty cool song. In a room of 50,000 apostolics with the choir singing, the only thing I thought was, that's a cool song. The beat was nice. The words were good. The music was amazing. But as I was listening to the song, I began to look around in this massive auditorium, and I began to look upon the faces of the people in my dream. And I began to get frustrated and angry and mad. Because as I looked around, the congregation... I saw everyone except for a select few just sitting there. What I saw was 50,000 apostolic Pentecostal saints of God being entertained. I began to get upset because of where, because we were in a place where a move of God should have been so great, yet the congregation was just enjoying a neat song. I don't ever want to become unfit or non-deployable. We have a duty to our church. We have a duty to our community. We have a duty to our family. I don't ever want it to come to church to just be entertained. I don't ever want to come to church just to hear a cool song. I don't want to come to church just to hear pastor make me feel good about myself. I don't ever want to be caught in a situation where I am unable to act when the call is given, where I am unable to fight when the call is given, where I am unable to witness when the call is given. I don't ever want God to overlook me because I am unfit to serve. I wonder if situations that we go through are directly correlated to the fact that we are unfit to serve. I'm going to say that again. I wonder if situations that we go through are directly correlated to the fact that we are unfit to serve. We haven't been reading our Bible and studying as much as we are. And I'm talking to myself as much as I am anybody else. Haven't been praying as much as we used to. Haven't been worshiping as much as we used to. Haven't ran the aisles in a while. Haven't clapped our hands. Haven't lifted our hands. Haven't worshiped. I wonder if the situation that I am in or that you are in right now is because we are unfit to serve. The world is depending upon us to be ready when they walk through those doors. They are dependent upon us to be fit and ready to serve. We can't just become another lackadaisical church that just goes through the motions. We can't become just another church that just claps their hands and raises them every once in a while. But when they walk through those doors, they need to feel the power of God. They need to feel the anointing and the Holy Ghost in this place. We can't just become another church that just sits here and waits for somebody else to move. We need to step out and move. I hear stories, people telling stories and like saying, oh, I invited this person. I really hope that church doesn't go crazy. No, I hope they come in on a shout down service. I hope somebody walks in and there's someone rolling across the platform. I hope somebody walks in and sees Sister Julie Calvin is shouting across the front of the church. I don't ever want someone to hear 
about an apostolic, holy roll, a tongue-talking church and walk in and it's just patty cake. I don't ever want to be found unfit to serve. Now we'll end with this. I believe in Judges chapter 7, a couple things were shown. One, God doesn't need us to get things done. He doesn't need a large church to reach the world. He doesn't need 32,000 men to defeat an army. He is all-powerful. And he can do it with just a snap of a finger, with just a quick spoken word. He doesn't need 31,700 unfit saints of God to reach the world. He can do it with 300. And second, God wants to use us. But he will pass over us if we are unfit to serve. The 32,000 men were all battle ready. They had all the equipment they needed. They had their sword. They had their shield. They had their armor, their breastplate, their helmet. They had everything they needed to win a battle. But yet, 31,700 men were unfit to serve. They had done everything they were supposed to do, look how they were supposed to look, but yet they were unfit to serve. I don't know about you this morning, but I don't want to be a part of the 31,700. I don't want to be a part of the group that just goes to church, raises their hands, goes through the motions, does everything they're supposed to do, but doesn't have a relationship with God. I want to make sure that I am fit to serve and that when God calls, I am able to answer. And I pray this morning that, although my thought was very simple, and again, talking to myself as much as anybody else, probably more. But there's several reasons in this chapter, in this story, why things happened and what happened. But I don't ever want to be passed over because I am unfit. I don't ever want to be passed over because I don't ever want blessings to not come my way because I'm going to start saying, oh, I did that when God's the one that gave it to me. I want to make sure that I am fit to serve.